dun, 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 dun. Oh my goodness. Dun 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 Hello everyone and welcome, 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 welcome to the Underworld Party! And today I am delighted, excited, I am quite overjoyed and bursting out of my pajamas to talk to this person, this, this wonderful, shining, messy, artist being that I have been recently introduced to. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to say, please check out our Patreon, patreon.com animist arts. Check out everything that we're doing there. This podcast is a free part of that project. You can also go to my website, www.bodyalter. Dot org. That's B-O-D-Y-A-L-T-A-R dot org. If you go to Body Alter with an E, you'll get some tattoo parlor in the UK. <laughs> so don't do that. Go to my website instead. And there you'll see all the archives. You'll see all the other projects. You'll see writing. And you'll see a place to donate. So please, 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 if this benefits you and your relations, please donate. Because you know what's up with the money thing. Um, I won't get into that too much, but please, if it feels good, please donate whatever is is nice for you and feels like a good ritual offering. That would be grand, and I will pass it along to all the places I need to pass it along to. Anything else that we need to talk about before we start this magnetic interview? Well, um, Let's see. No, I think we're just going to get right into it. So I would love to introduce you all today. If you haven't been introduced to them before, here they are, the Woodchuck's Apprentice, <laughs> Sophie Strand. And I hope I pronounced that right. Sophie Strand, yes? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Yes, the Woodchuck's Apprentice, Sophie Strand, here today on the Underworld Party, going to chit-chat about art and all the magic-y, awesome, animisty things. Sophie, how you doing? Doing pretty good. I'm watching a, a big storm roll in um, over the river, kind of blowing an uh, aspen tree, making all the silver leaves turn over. So feels nice. It's been 90, 90 degrees until today, so I'm, I'm happy. So you're like right on the cusp, like the storm is coming. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> the storm is coming. And just for everyone, let's place it in context. Sophie, where are you calling in from? What's the land? I am on Muncie Lenape land um, in the Hudson Valley in New York State. And I'm right at the confluence of the Hudson River and the Rondout Creek. So I am a riparian being. And somehow I always end up like the last three places I've lived have been at river confluences. Um, it's just something about where I always end up. Um, yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And for, for, you know, cause I'm a word nerd and I don't, yeah. pretend, I don't pretend to like, I'm not college educated by the way, but I don't pretend to like, I'm, I'm big on the internet. Like I kind of, 
Learned on the internet, but the etymology and certain words, they just have a ring to them, like a spirit inside of them. And you said riparian, and I was like, ding, ding, ding. So what is the spirit of that word? River dwellers of a riverine of the river, um, dwelling there, constituting it, making it for me, honestly, just, you know, kind of improvising. Um, it is those beings that live through change through that are lymphatic that flow. Um, and as someone who physically has a lot of issues with detox um, systems, like my kidneys and my liver just don't work super well. I, um, I'm glad that I'm next to the medicine of the river, just helping everything move. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause the chi of the river, the yeah. chi of the river is constantly reminding your body to flush. <laughs> yeah. To keep moving. Keep uh -huh. moving. So uh -huh. you have, so you have issues with stagnation. Is that sort of, yeah, yeah, no, my whole, I have connective tissue disease. So my whole body kind of is a little funky. It's a little tricky. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't call it by name. Sometimes I've written, I've written about it by name in other places, but lately I've been thinking that the more you name an illness, the more you kind of uh, commit yourself to that diagnosis. <laughs> <Literally>. and, <laughs> um, and so I'm kind of of the, you know, Harry Potter school, like he must not be named. Like, I don't know if I'm going to commit to that name, but. Yeah, that's a good idea because that name is a meme and alive and it, and it has mm -hmm. a density already. And of course, yeah. if we're talking about things that we don't want to be stagnant and we don't want to be stable, why would we want to give them more stability, <laughs> give yeah. them more density, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I always think, I think I read about this in a Robert Bringhurst book, um, but he was talking about an indigenous tribe that lives up where he does, I think in North, mm, probably over by you in Northern Canada, I cannot remember the exact location no and about how they're super careful about even naming like rivers and places and they don't even make eye contact. They come into really slow, careful relationship with these things before they even name them. So yeah. let's not name things too quickly. Yes, let's not name things too quickly. And on the other oscillatory end of that, mm. let's play with naming things. Yeah. So Frick it all up. We can screw it up. We can, yeah. you know. And and so, with that, I would love to just play a little game with you, and then Let's we can go where the conversation takes us. So, mm -hmm. um, you, I know that you are writing a lot about the tarot right now. And um, yes, for anyone who doesn't know, Sophie is essentially giving away a book online. I mean, it's like you go to their Instagram. It's, <laughs> It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm just saying. Well, I'm actually, it's actually about to, I would say maybe it's going to be up for another week and then it's going to be taken because it might be a real book. So. Oh, well, that is, I'm excited because, okay. because, you know, the thing about, you know, the writing and poetry and, and channeling and all the things that we're talking about, the intersection of divination, oracularity, um, art making, crafting, chant, you know, all of these words that are pointing to a kind of process. Um, uh, it's just fascinating to me to sort of, you know, hang out in that world where we can actually become aware of or apply awareness energy or to even how I am choosing the words I'm saying right now. And the writer really plays with that. The poet really plays with that because each word is like a spell. 
Each word is a spell. And where does that spell come from? It comes from everywhere and it comes from somewhere. So everywhere, nowhere, somewhere, it's all of that at once. And you have been, you know, I, I've read a few of the amazing posts that you've written and I'm gonna reference some of them here, but yeah. just so everyone knows, it's like, there's so much that you have sort of produced in the last few months or you're like, how long <laughs> have you been, how long have you been in this kind of pro like it's kind of like a project right it like has a kind of thematic like cohesion right well um to be perfectly honest most of my products are born of well intense research and reading that usually happens over a period of years and then serious health concerns that make me be like gotta do it right now have to just do it um <laughs> so yeah. i've written all of this and i wrote it all in two months okay. um pretty much maybe 30 days. Um, so, and it's actually all part of a project called the flowering wand. Um, and it's called the flowering wand, lunar Kings, lichenized lovers, rhizomatic har harpists and trans species magicians heal the masculine. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a yeah. lot. Yeah, that is <laughs> That's like 20 spells, right? There. I know. Yeah. <laughs> There's a spell in between each word and all together. And um, yeah. okay, this is fascinating to me. This is super fascinating. You know, and I'm just going to take this little side door oh. in my mind, which is that, you know, I've been really thinking lately about doing like a mini project or a mini podcast slash multimedia project that essentially sort of like breaks all these taboos about masculinity and actually... Yeah teaches people with penises, you know, because I mean, that's like what we're talking about, right? Teaches people with penises how to become like essentially sexually gratified through just being alive. Yeah. You know, like go into the forest and you're having basically like nature sex with yourself and with all the other beings and like the eros that is present in the actual world that act, that doesn't need to be tied to this idea of like having physical human partners of a certain kind of you know blah 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 because we love to go like this is my thing this is my kind or type and the reality is is that we don't really have time <laughs> like, like on some level we are just like a blob of of nature and to connect with that is extremely sexually gratifying like i mean i've 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 never felt better since I started doing this kind of practice maybe four or five years ago, where it was like, oh, I can heal all my like relationship issues just by like communicating with nature. Like I'm down. It's so much, it's so much easier. And it's also so much more pleasurable on some level. It's like more chill. Like I, you know, like, and uh, so that's my little side door, which is like ding, ding, ding. Yes, sacred masculine, but not the way I've heard many people ever talk yeah. about this. Yeah, I mean, actually, I feel like you just offered me the synopsis for my book, which is ecology is courtship, masculinity is being like a, a, an erotic vegetal dream making experience. Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. The, that's it. That's it. We got it. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, and I mean, we our sexuality is so tied to capitalism. It's so and it's and, and and to commodifying each other. And the truth is, it's very porous and it's very ecosexual. 
And yeah, I do think, and I also think, especially with trauma and with relationship issues, we think that only human beings can heal it for us. When the truth is like going outside and lying on the dirt is a better nervous system regulator than working with an extremely expensive white privileged therapist for 10 years. Yes, yes. Yeah, not was, that I haven't done both. No, I but, <laughs> for yeah. sure, for sure. Also, buy my book. Also, buy my yeah, courses. Also, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Also, I hate capitalism. Also, please yeah. give me money. <laughs> no, it's real. It's real. And um, you know, in doing research in various, you know, uh, incantational, magical, FKA, shamanic practices, whatever you want to call it. And of course, when we name these things, there's a whole political issue around that. But I'm, yeah. I'm sort of holding that at bay. But just basically both, both institutionalized witchcraft, which we call religions, and yes. non-institutionalized witchcraft, which we just call witchcraft, yeah. <laughs> or shamanism, or whatever, whatever, you know, fill in the blank here. But yeah. there is this institutionalized witchcraft, which, you know, essentially, you know, have you ever watched a Catholic mass? I was like, going to say yeah. witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, oh, my God. Have you heard about how the priest ran back into Notre Dame, not Notre Dame, when it was burning to save the host because he so believed it was the body of Christ? Oh, wow. No, I haven't heard yeah. that. Yes. I mean, yes. Like, adur, <laughs> like, badurba durba. Yeah. It, and it reminds me of you. Uh, Chasing the woodchuck in your story, but we'll oh, get yeah. into that. Like, uh -huh. I mean, woodchuck. Yeah, it's real, right? Like this, not just a totem as an object, but as a subject. Oh, not even as a subject, but as your deity. I mean, like <laughs> having like a a troublesome, problematic relationship with an animal that continues to arrive. Yeah. Oh, so this right, and so let's just you know, here's the clarifying part. It's like. We're looking at different levels of sort of like the intoxication of being in relationship. Yeah. Like we can think of something as an object and then we have power over it and we dominate it, which is what most yeah. people are doing to the earth right now. It's like yeah. subject object relationships. Then yeah. we can have subject subject relationships like me and Sophie right here. We're like peer to peer and with the whole world of ancestors and stuff. It's like a bunch of peers and a network. But then when we get to things that are maybe at a higher stage of energy cultivation than us or like you know like the milky way itself or like anything on a scale that is sort of like whoa it brings awe into our hearts it sort of you know we feel a sense of weightlessness this is you know th we can track these somatic cues it's like very real yeah. Yeah. um but oh. then when we're, when we're connecting to that and we call it deity, that's that other kind of interpersonal or interbeing relationship, right? It's mm -hmm. like, whoa. Or like when I contemplate the mycelium, it's like, yeah, whoa. me too. There's yeah. something so vast and networked here that I can only in some mythic way relate to it as a deity, right? Like on some level in my system, there's only one way to relate to it. And that way could be loosely categorized as sort of deity. So I just wanted to sort of fill in people who might be like, y'all are tripping around really fast. It's like, no, there's actually a map here. There's a map. Yeah. yeah. So with that being said, I want to actually have some time to not talk about things, but talk inside of things. So let's do it. I have a tarot deck. You okay. have a tarot deck. I do. And I'm curious, before we even pull, we're setting up a context to play a game. 
how do you even start to interact with this deck as an interbeing or whatever? Like, what is your context? My context is I was very interested in tarot in a very playful way. I hosted tarot nights where a bunch of readers and, and amateur readers would get together with different decks and read for each other. And then I was very opposed to the Rider Waite. And the day before quarantine began, when I was in a really melted part of my life, I found for a dollar at a store, the Rider Waite. And that has become my deck. Um, and it was not really by choice. So I have, I have a very, um, I have a thorny but fertile relationship with this deck. And I just want to say that like, I didn't have a tarot deck for ages. Mm -hmm. I was very against this kind of like relying on the cards to do what my body could tell me to do. Yeah. Until I got enough of my body online where I could actually interface with the the oracularity of the situation through the deck and with the deck rather than because of the deck. Yes. See the difference? It's like, I'm not yeah. giving my power away to the deck. I'm actually using the, the deck as a kind of call and response amplifier, which is yeah. just very, very specific kind of way of, everyone's got a specific way of relating. And I'm just really fascinated how everyone uses the tools a little bit differently, right? Yeah, one thing I will say is, so I have um, pretty intense PTSD experiences. And um, while it might not at all be visible to people in my daily life, it does interfere with my ability to make good decisions about myself. <laughs> so the, the, um, the tarot has been an interesting way of outsourcing my intuition to my intuition. <laughs> this is brilliant. So, this, is, yeah. this is it. This is the thing, right? Yeah. Yes. So so I really want people to rewind if they didn't hear that, because that is super key to to sort of like playing with the natural obstacles that come up in a nervous system as we have yeah. a life. Because yeah. if we think we can have a trauma less life, um, that's not a life. There's no, <laughs> no. life because yeah. any initiation or any initiatory phase or experience or event or moment or whatever you want to call it, encountering any kind of initiatory encountering in my opinion, has very rarely ever been consensual. <laughs> As yeah. in like, I would actually choose it. Like, yes, on the menu, yeah. like I wouldn't- On actually, the menu, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I wouldn't actually be like, oh yeah, that sounds like a great thing to order. It's like, no, I wouldn't. And yet in the non-consensual kind of initiatory kind of trauma of the initiation, actually working with that becomes like this kind of push-pull frictional magnetic thing, just like you're talking about the Rider Waitick. There's actually some frictional heat between yeah. you and the deck. And yeah. I bet you that actually creates more potent communication. It does, yeah. It's not what I'd want, but it's oftentimes what I need. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This yeah. is what I'm talking about. So I just want to give people like a context because we're going to pull a card here and then we're just going to play around with our, yeah. our consciousnesses. Um, I usually, and, and this is connected to how I think you, Sophie, are, are using the deck. I usually ask the deck one question for with one card. And then if that's unclear, or I just feel like there's more, and then I pull two more cards. And then I usually yeah. just do three card pulls, or at the most, you know, one to three cards. And because I think those numbers are really primary. You go from zero yeah. to one, then one to two, and two to three. It's that's like a lot of life, right? 
Yeah. But what I usually ask the deck and 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 find this in my system like an open space to listen is what do I need to remember right now? Huh. Yeah. Because like what that. I need to remember might not be something I even like or want to remember. And yeah. that's the that's the other side of it is like I'm really open ended. Like not what do I need to remember that I want to enjoy to remember. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. But this kind of like what do I need to remember that actually might it's po totally possible to put me in a state of annoyance. Yeah. It's totally possible to make me angry. So I have to be open to this, like, sort of not menu choice. Like, I'm not going to choose on the menu to be angry, but if I do something that is surprising and oracular, well, I have to let myself be open to the possibility that it's going to piss me off for some reason or, or whatever. Get Put me in a PTSD response, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And I think that magic is this act of, like, you got to sometimes push on your edges and using the deck to push on your edge. This is really cool. So what do I need to remember? And I'm sure there's other things, but I'm curious, do you have sort of like a guiding question that you constantly go back to the deck with? Um, well, I've been actually trying, when I was first learning the tarot, I pulled a lot for myself and I would do what you did, which is like one or two cards, three at most. Um, and these days I rarely pull for myself. I only do it when it really feels crucial. Um, uh, usually it's some kind of turning point. Um, yeah. And then I, I pull one or two cards mm -hmm. and I ask, what am I being invited into? And it's usually when something is happening and in my life, physical is usually the dominant dramatic event. Yes. Um, and I go, what is, what is this invitation? Yes. Yeah. So you're already, you're already knowing I'm about to cross some fucking threshold. Yeah, I'm like, okay, something's happening. Give me a card. Yeah. And, and, and you know what's interesting too is like I don't know I don't know much about Western astrology and I, I know a bit more about sort of um Taoist astrology, but I'm yeah. by no means an astrologer. But I do think about elemental forces sometimes and sort of yeah. like how each person in the Taoist um pole star astrology, so they have like the year animal, the hour animal, the the, the month and the day animal and all of those exert different influences and each <laughs> of those each of those animals also has an element attached to it so you could have a wood pig with a metal monkey with a water rat you know like you could have a bunch of different things yeah. it's not it's not as basic as some people think it is it's extremely complex but everyone also comes with an inner element hmm. that is kind of maybe not even connected to the elements of the animals but is like your inner element and what I feel like is I'm, I'm hearing from you and I don't know if it's true mm -hmm. um, that like there's a lot of water element happening here because you're even talking about the deck like what am I being invited into like you're already being carried on a current and you are not going to be able to turn around like there's yeah. something very river like or water like about like I can't actually turn this fucking boat around. So I might <laughs> as well get used to whatever the hell is going to happen over here. Cause I can't necessarily do much about stopping it or jumping out of the water, but like, no, it's, it's going, it's going. And I'm just wondering, like, does that, does that resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I'm a very fiery person. I feel like that's what I'm constantly actually having to fight is like my ability to burn everything down. Um, but I do all, but I, it's interesting that you bring up water because my life has a very, um, elemental 
push. I sometimes call it like karmic whiplash. <laughs> That's the joke in my family or the force field is yeah. like, it's very hard for me to get out of alignment. And I really try to a lot. And then the karmic whiplash is like extraordinarily loud. <laughs> wow! It's like, usually like um, the last time that it happened where I was like, I think I'm going to try and get a little off the path. I was on flat ground running and it was like a hand came down and pushed me onto the flat ground and like tore off my kneecap. And when the ambulance came, they were like, you couldn't have done this right here. And I was like, I did this right here. Oh, no. So. Oh, no. Yeah. But yeah, no, but it is. It's like, it's no. like being pushed. You're like, get back in the river. You can't get off the river. Right. Yeah. There's like a strong force yeah. at your back. And yeah. unfortunately, or fortunately, you have to learn yeah. to work with what it, what is actually the way. Yeah. Yeah, when I was younger, I was off the path all the time and I was like so sick for so many years. Like I had to go through mm. almost a 10 year autoimmune crazy battle of like who the fuck knows what meeting death and still not really getting it. But yes, like there is something to certain people where if they get off the path <laughs> or if they're not doing something in alignment with their fate, then the deities, the gods, the forces of nature, the elemental forces, whatever they are, yeah, whatever they are, are like, uh-uh, this is not the way you get, to, yeah. you get booted, you get booted. And unfortunately, you know, we, we living, we're living in a world now where the, the upsurge of things like autoimmune diseases or strange yeah. conditions that we don't know how to deal with yeah. allopathically because they're not allopathic issues. Right. Yeah. Um, are sort of coming up for people. And I just want to say, you know, to everyone listening and just to the spirits that like, I think I'm finally understanding that like autoimmune symptoms or conditions are a kind of downstream effect of the sort of crisis of eldership, the crisis of initiation, the absence of those things, the absence of initiation, the absence of elders, that we in the West have grown up with for quite a few generations now. And, and I do think there is a real psycho, psycho in, immuno neurological thing happening in which because we don't get initiated, because we're not embedded in nature in the ways that our ancestors were, we are more prone to these kinds of signal flares from the unconscious, which yeah. turn out to be like, oh, now I have this gut issue or something, you know? Yeah, I oftentimes think of that. And I mean, I always want to clarify that I think these think, think things are always layered, that they always exist in at the same time. Like, yes, yes. it's medical, it will kill you. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, it's, yes. yes, it's spiritual, you have to deal with it spiritually. Yes, yes, yes it's yes. inherited. No, it's not inherited. Um, yes. So yes. the yes. one thing that I very much resonate and agree with that, which is, I think sometimes when we ignore the, the initiation, when it doesn't happen, when it's not available, it gets real loud. It yeah. uses the available materials and the material that is always available is your body. That is absolutely a fantastic segue into doing something embodied. So let's pick up the decks. Yeah. I invite you to sort of figure out the right question inside of yourself. I'll do that too. It'll take about 30 or 60 seconds to do that. And then I will go, I'll ask my question, I'll pull the card and I'll just sit and I won't, you know, I'm just going to pull the card after I pull the card and show it, then you do the same thing. And we're just going to sit with those kind of spirits and sort of play and see what comes up next. Okay. Okay. Perfect. 
So thank you all to all the good ancestors, all the witches and everyone else who backs us in this kind of work. Thank you to the land that we are on. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of the descendants that are pulling us forward into the future that is present within us. Thank you so much for this one precious gift that we have been given called life. Help us to uh, play well in a good way. Thank you so much. My question is, hmm, what is the guiding spirit for this conversation? Please show me in a good way. Thank you so much. Hmm. I got the Queen of Cups. Oh, beautiful. Well, with the rivers and all the water that you were talking about, what a good card to pull. Yeah, I got the Queen of Cups. So I'm going to let that sit here and marinate okay. that. <laughs> now, okay. on to you. All right. I'm going to ask, what am I learning right now? Because I can feel learning happening. Um, ah, temperance, um, which is Sagittarius, and I'm a Sagittarius, and it was also the sign of the eclipse that happened two days ago. Oh, yeah, I'm a Sag too, by the way. BTW. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I love Sagittarius, yeah temperance it's so interesting you have the queen of cups and then you have the cups of temperance so you have a yes. you have this kind of alchemical movement of water against gravity mm -hmm. yeah. alchemical movement of water against gravity yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know that temperance card the image in that one because you have those you know sort of old yeah. Um, you know, images, whereas my deck is the Tarot del Fuego. And it's like totally, it's like crazy folk art from yeah. a Mexican artist. Um, but the hands, can you show up the card again? Can you show the yeah. card again for you have? Okay, so I know people are listening here, but the temperance card and uh, the being has two cups is like an angel and um, the, the left-handed cup is higher than the right-handed cup and the water water is sort of flowing between them at an angle. So it's not even like vertical, it's at a diagonal line, which water can't necessarily flow that way unless there are some crazy magnetic chi forces happening. And so it's interesting to sort of combine that image with like the pose of like Qigong holding the ball. We're exactly. Like, that's what I always think. It's it's when you learn to use the energy that's flowing through you that feels like it's being done to you and start to use it in a way that actually is beneficial to you and the world. Right. So you're taking this kind of force that you might be like, ah, too much. I don't like it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, ah, stop it. <laughs> you know, the fire hose yeah. of reality is like plugged fire, in. Yeah. <laughs> but you take that and you start to actually cultivate a kind of container and a kind of um, creative manipulation, which is art, right? Yeah. So the art of like, these forces are coming through me and they're gonna tear me apart. I have to paint about it, or I have to write about it, or I have to dance about it, or I have to sing about it or whatever. But the qigong of that artistic kind of, oh, just here's it coming. And which is yeah. kind of like a birthing process, you know, to be- Oh yeah, it's an urgency. And if it doesn't happen, it can fry you. I always think of that quote from the gospel of Thomas, which is like the early Gnostic um, sayings mm -hmm. of Jesus yeah. that, you know, bring that which is inside of you out of you or it will kill you. <laughs> yeah, Very it's that simple. Words. Yeah. Right. Like there is something about them 
knowing or understanding this kind of pressure buildup that happens in the human psyche, right? Yeah. And when I say psyche, I'm actually meaning soul, not psychological oh, yeah. brain. But just so people know, you know, we, we're using a lot of words and sometimes people don't know what the the word means. And I also invite people to like, you can look it up later and like figure it out. Like it's not super important either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also think of temperance as being, um, I always think it's that moment where, you know, the butterfly is liquefied in the cocoon. Just um, which is not a nice experience. Like transformation isn't beautiful. The butterfly has gone through a complete phase shift. Um, and I think of temperance as the moment where it starts to exit and it's still wet and it looks real bad still. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So you've just been thrown down the river, thrown off a waterfall. You have yeah. not died. You are yeah. crawling to shore. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. You are like... Yeah, like, and you know, that reminds me just of like, our ancestors were once doing that in actual biological form, like fish learned how fish turned into the mud skipper, which kind of learned how to get its body out of the water, which is both fascinating and like awe-inspiring and also magical novelty and also terrifying as hell. Like, what the hell are you doing that for? <laughs> like, why are you leaving your like oceanic home so there is a drive in the the species on this planet an interspecies drive that is about leaving the familiar yeah and the, and the familiar is the unknown it is the aquatic the water um the slipperiness and i think that's interesting that the familiar is the the, the unfamiliar um yes yes yes, yeah. yes right right it's like you're so used to it that you don't actually aware it so much yeah yeah and that's like a very interesting thing to be like what is the sea i'm already swimming in that i have been so accustomed to that i'm actually blind or just not listening to its calls because i'm so acculturated to whatever's happening yeah. you know yeah i mean that's something i think about a lot in my life and i think that's one of the things that really extreme illness and autoimmunity does is it defamiliarizes the world. It's like a kaleidoscopic shift where you're like, I don't understand anything. And suddenly things come into the foreground that you hadn't seen before. Um, and it can be extraordinarily painful, but it is an interesting and important exercise in empathy, I think. Yeah. And that's that initiatory turn again, where yeah. it's like, you no one's going to choose this off the menu. Like this, no. Is, no, no one's going to choose this consciously or even like, you know, maybe accidentally we choose these things because whatever accidents are like yeah. coincidences, which means they don't exist. But <laughs> like this kind of mystical synchronicity that we are resistant to. Yeah, actually, because there are synchronicities that we're not resistant to because we already have a preconditioned response to liking that stimulation. Yeah, that is preconditioned. And I'm sort of talking about in, in, in art making where you get really murky. That place of art making is very similar to the place of being sick, where you yeah. are confused and you are scared of being confused. Yeah. And contraction, the, dilation, contraction, yes. dilation. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So this process and then I've been thinking lately, you know, thinking about art as this process of contraction, dilation, or condensation, diffusion, mm, or whatever you want. Yeah. To like, I'm a drop, and now I'm a cloud. Now I'm a drop, I'm a cloud, you know, like this kind of yeah. 
watershed kind of cycle. But that, um, so. That's a great idea. I think I'm going to have to think about that a lot more. The watershed cycle as being the artistic process. Thank you. Yeah, because there's a point in that <laughs> yeah. cycle that's very similar to being sick, which is like, I don't know how to make decisions anymore. Right. Yeah. It's like I'm scared of being so uncertain and I don't even know what options I have, much less which options to choose from. You see that there's yeah. that shift of like yeah. before you even see that you have options, you have to get to a place sometimes where you can't even see that there are options. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's the place that um, to I've been really interested lately in the place where the story ends and not like because there's a, an ending. But because it stops working, and I think that's <laughs> it stops working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been thinking lately, like I've ha I've had that experience, and I'm sure you have, and many other people who perhaps will listen or watch this have had it. This past year has been a series of those moments of being like, this story is not functioning. It is off the rails. There is no story ahead of me. What is the dominant symbol? I mean, I did a tarot reading for someone recently who had been working with a specific symbol professionally like was a, like a, an expert intellectually on the symbol, making it, um, talking about it. And it guided her, the mythological shape of her life. And then it dissolved. And she came to me and she said, I don't have a symbol. And right. I thought, yeah, yeah, that's the place you have to get to. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I think that a lot of my work in the world as sort of given to me by the ancestors is a kind of like, I wrote this the other day during my, I have a writing practice that is essentially like a divination practice, which is essentially yeah. like a somatic practice. Yeah. So I stand in front of the computer and I just let one word or one phrase or one thing come out at a time. And I let that work on me. And then another thing comes in response that I'm not even thinking really. I'm really just yeah. reflecting on a screen. Yeah. And and then poetry starts to sort of erupt from this kind of interplay of reflective process and this kind of eruption of this underground spring that if you asked me where it was, I couldn't tell you. But yeah. if we started to go look for it, I could smell it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I that's actually how I think. I, I most of my intuition is through my nose like metaphorically and, and truthfully, like when I meet people who are bad for me, they smell wrong. So yeah, mm, you can right. smell and, it. Right, and it's a kind of like psychic smelling. It's like, I couldn't actually tell you what it actually smelled like, yeah. like some kind of Pinot Noir or something. I couldn't be like, yeah. oh, there's like hints of almonds. It's like, no, yeah. no, but, and yet, if I go into any kind of dreaming place, I could describe it for you. Yeah. You know, like it smells like, it smells like, the ions in a lightning storm before they're there or right after yeah. you know it's like the edge of something and it's a little bit moist and it's a little bit dark and like i can tell you that from this place of like sniffing whatever freaking energy chi that is it's like smelling chi you're like oh this sm this chi smells like bread and this chi smells like you know uh gasoline <laughs> Well, it's so interesting because in so many cultures and like the apparitions of the Virgin and in India, you know, smell is associated with these mantic prophetic states of gurus and prophets kind of giving forth their direct channel. And it's been really, really well documented. Like I think 
um, Teresita Urea, who is considered kind of the catalyst, I think, of the Mexican Revolution. There's a great book about her called The Hummingbird's Daughter. Apparently, when she would do these miracles, the smell of roses would fill the room. And there are right. like so many documentations of this. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's fascinating because, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the brain center of smell, I think, is isn't that the most primary memory or like mnemonic pathway? I think so. I mean, and I always think that there are less smells in the winter and I have less access to my memories. Oh, yeah. That's my experience. And so like when the smells come back in the springtime, it's like all of a sudden I have, I'm more able to tap into the kind of memory house of my life. Right. That's very fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah, I'm wondering about that in terms of like, so in like Taoist practice, the months of winter, there's mm -hmm. a protocol you're supposed to, you know, if you're a good Taoist, you'll follow this yeah. protocol, which is like, going to sleep very very early you know waking up very very early when it's still dark being in the dark way more reading books and contemplating sort of like yeah like actually dying in a sense like going yeah. into a kind of death practice for the winter that is yeah. a kind of energy cultivation state of like letting your system essentially die to itself in order for when the spring chi, the yang chi starts to rise again, mm -hmm. and of course it starts to rise again actually right after, um, you know, winter solstice, right? It's like, yeah, starts to rise. Actually, that's even though it's still dark, it's still winter, the chi is actually starting to rise, and you yeah. can feel that. But then when the eruption of chi, of yang chi, happens in, you know, starting in like March, you know, which is, you know, when it starts to sort of really come alive then we can sort of catch it and eat it better. Yeah. So yeah. again, we're talking about smells. We're talking about like, as animals smelling things and eating them is kind of primary. Yeah. And also I think we get so much more information from smell than we let ourselves interpret now. Our sensory gating, our, our socialization of what we get out perceptually yes. is yes. so limited these days. And I think, I mean, personally, I think my, my, my family jokes that I'm like a bloodhound or like one of those like morel hunting, oh, truffle yeah. hunting pigs or something. <laughs> I can pig. smell everything. I can smell when people are sick. I can, you know... And I, I think that if we let ourselves pay attention to that more, we would be getting a lot more information about intuition. And intuition, not even in a kind of like psychic way, in a like pretty practical sensory way. Right. And, and that's, you know, that, yeah, that's something I'd love to talk a bit about more. Yeah. And, and how, let's tie this into sort of your personal creative process. Yeah. I, and so I have a creative process and it involves sort of like taking these, levitational feelings or levitational thoughts which are like thoughts are kind of like balloons or clouds mm -hmm. and sort of giving them more solidity or more form so like taking heaven down to earth but i'm yeah. doing that physically as well as energetically but i'm actually trying to sort of unite heaven and earth but not in a kind of like salvational way yeah like just a kind of playful way of like like the rain cycle again it's like oh at a certain point the cloud is pregnant enough with water is with rain that it rains yeah and the rain falls down it doesn't fall up it falls down yeah know? so i'm just very curious about this sensory like let's talk about the sensory gating let's talk about how the western 
the Western world has essentially colonized the way that we sense, right? I mean, our yeah. sensations have been colonized on some level and sort of like how you bring that and maybe remediate that through your creative process. Can you take us through that? Well, thank you, because that is a great question and it's very juicy, so thank you. Um, I just finished a long historical fiction book, which I'm publishing, not publishing, selling right now, hopefully we'll publish, that is a ecological feminist retelling of the gospels about Rabbi Yeshua, the magician um, storytelling illiterate Galilean man known as Jesus. Um, the, the, the one thing that I really don't, so I studied in college, so academically, I studied hagiographies, saints, lives, and miracles. And so I was really interested that miracles really do happen. And people really, really in mass populations will attest to them happening. And so there's something about the way we have shut down our belief sphere and our sensory gating that makes us less open to miracles and less open to magic. Mike, 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 Mike drop, Mike, Mike, yeah. Mike drop. <laughs> and as someone who, someone who would love to experience spontaneous remission or would love to experience a miracle, I've always been really fascinated with, okay, so what would I need to do to believe that? <laughs> and to f believe it somatically, like in my body. Right. And so I as I was writing about Jesus, I was thinking like, okay, so what is the belief sphere of these people? Like, I do not want to write this in a colonized 21st century way. And I realized that the belief sphere was sensual, that it was the smells, the flowers, the ecology. It was a specific ecological consciousness. And that the best thing I could do for this story was to root it like that we deracinate all of these stories and myths from their ecology and so they don't make any sense. them. We totally yeah. decontextualize everything here in the West. Like yeah. even this Joseph Campbell stuff is like basically decontextualization all the time. I know. No, no one knows what he actually thought. I mean, I've gone back and read all the Joseph Campbell. So I, I have such a complicated relationship to him. I kind of <laughs> love a lot of the stuff that he says. Um, but yeah, so for my own creative process, I spend, I, I spend almost all my time outside. And something I realized about my traumatic experiences is that they're very um, connected to being indoors. So I feel best when I'm outside. And I know that I have to probably be indoors to write, but I do most of my writing outside. So I'll run like five, I run like five miles every morning. And then I walk probably another 10 miles. I'm kind of like a manic mover. Wow. And um, I will reach a certain point where like the water will start to boil. And I'll usually like take out my phone and start writing in my notes app. And then I'll be like, no, I got to go home. I got to yeah. do this. Yeah, because yeah. it's now it's now cultivated enough that it would pour out if given the opportunity. Yeah. Right? People always ask me, like, how long does it take you to write a piece? And I go, well, usually it takes me 15 minutes. But, and I mean, there's a lot of revision. I mean, revision can take like four years, like, you know. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the writing takes so much longer than that. And in fact, like if we're thinking like long story, like Groundhog Day, which is my spiritual text, that's a side note. Um, <laughs> like how many days, how many lives have I been working on this piece of writing? Like millions, I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, so let me see if I have the map. So like, I really yeah. like mapping out people's creative Yeah. Practice. You know, it's like, so you essentially have to like go to the well, but the well is like walking and running in nature. Oh, and it, it is like, I have to, all of my writing comes very, and this is something I really believe in. I think everybody should be in specific relationship with the landscape outside their home. And that is where the biggest inspiration is going to come from. Mm. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's real. That's real. For someone like me, like I'm a very urban animist. Like I live yeah. in Portland. It's a very green city, but it yeah. is not by any means a natural system of like being that I can just hop outside and walk to someplace like that. Like, like even yeah. the parks are not like, you know, parks are not what I'm talking about. And I think, don't think it's what you're talking about either. Right. It's like, well, I actually, you know, John O'Donohue once um, said something that I really liked, which is, you know, we, we, we oftentimes think it's all or nothing. We do not all have the privilege of having green space behind our house. Sometimes it's actually looking up between buildings and looking at the dawn every morning. Right. Just looking at like a square of sky. Like, right. you know, you don't have much room to dance, but you got to dance inside that inch. Yeah, Just the, yeah, the, the gradation, gradation of color between like 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. Right, right. That's right. your that's your direct connection. That's your direct connection, right. So you're yeah. you're essentially having to... So that that brings us to sensory gating because like yeah. what you just described is actually conscious sensory gating so you don't get fucking distracted by things you don't like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's this unconscious sensory gating that is sort yeah. of like culture, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you play with that during your in your creative process? Well, I think that unfortunately, I fortunately unfortunately have been given all of these like weird physical experiences that cause me to see things that other people don't see. Mm -hmm. And so I, I use those as tools. Um, and, um, but I actually, I can feel myself beginning to become gated sometimes when I spend too much time on the screen, when I spend too much, like I used to watch TV, not a lot, but I used to watch it because I love stories a lot. Right. And I realized, <laughs> but I realized that if I watch TV every day, it like slightly numbs my ability to notice non-human stories. And mm. honestly, like the better TV is like, okay, there are these two cats that really hate each other and they live in like right next to each other down the street from me. And they have this like very strange detente and that's probably better TV for me to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Cause it's a story. It's really happening. There's real it's really, there. and it's, it's, it's related to me. It's responding to me. You know, we're in the same ecosystem. Um, yeah. Right. So there's like more fidelity between broadcast towers or something, <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, the TV is one way to get stories, but it's they're they're pre-recorded stories. <laughs> and they're also, there, there are bigger stories going on too. Like stories, something I've been thinking about a lot. This is a story that I don't know. And that I'm thinking about, which is the ecosystem is changing where I am right now. It's a lot wetter, a lot hotter than it has been here for probably thousands of years. And a lot of the trees are dying and falling over. And people are being like, how do we preserve these trees? Like what, this is such a big problem. And what I've been thinking is, okay, the ecosystem is changing and these trees don't belong here anymore. They're not working. What, and also the mustard greens are, that are an invasive species are coming in and they're um, fungicidal. They produce like a fungal, fungicidal substance that kills um, the mycorrhizal plugins of these trees, which also kills them. And he, this is a story that I'm curious about. Like what is happening? Some, something, there is some kind of ecosystem shift happening that is not bad or good. And it's a story that is, it, people are trying to understand incorrectly, I think. Right. It's not bad or good, but it is. 
It is. It's happening. Yeah. <laughs> like the context is that this shit is happening. We yeah. don't know why. We don't know how, but we can see something happening and we're like, fuck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because like we're flirting on the edge of salvationism here. You oh, know? Yeah. Like we're constantly as, as a human species, I think we really float between like our urge to our urge to manipulate reality, which is a destructive you know like we, oh i just cut that tree down and make a house it's also yeah. creative it's like oh but yeah. you kill you kill the tree to make a house it's like well that's yeah. that's like that's like well it's like pros and cons you know like pros and cons yeah. and we have a lot of pros and cons to deal with that are happening simultaneously not like we can choose i want all the pros and none of the cons you know yeah. it's like the reality is is that stories are so simultaneous and multi-layered and you can't just remove a character. No, I, I mean, always, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're all intertangled. We're all ecosystems. You know, we're symbiogenetic with other beings. We're all mutualistic and not in a like really cute, nice way. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I've been really informed by Anna Singh's um, idea of contamination. Like contamination is, is the state of, of, of being. Yes. We are, we, you know, we have blood pressure stabilizer in our waters. We have, you know, um, cesium <laughs> in our cells, heavy metals. It's just, we're porous and we're involved and we're complicit. Yes, yes, we are. Yeah. That reference is Anna Singh Mushrooms at the End of the World, right? Yeah, yeah. A mushroom at the End of the World or something. Yeah, what a great book, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and her idea of rubble ecologies, I think, and salvaging, like, what can we salvage? Like, it's not about cleaning up because the cleaning up is off, it's like an antibiotic. It's like go, going in and killing everything to so solve let's, everything. Let's bleach the ocean, that'll solve yeah, it. Yeah, that'll <laughs> solve it. And solve it. oh man, the same thinking that got us into the situation is not gonna get us out of it. Um, yeah, this soteriological salvation idea is not helpful. Um, what was, wait, what was that word before you said deteriorate? So, soteriological, it's, about, it's kind of like everything is going to be saved at the end of the world by Christ. He's gonna come and he's gonna sort it all out. Um, and that's that's that word is soteriological. Soteriological, yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. That's that's interesting that there's a word to just describe this really specific form of salvationism. <laughs> that, that it also it's all of 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 um, environmentalism right now is like let's go save this one species without understanding that it's connected to like 25 different other species. And that's a real understatement, like probably hundreds. Yeah, probably um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was really, there's this great chapter, Elizabeth Colbert just published this book about like techno um, fatalism. Like <laughs> most of the people making this like environmental technology are like, this is gonna be used incorrectly. It's gonna fuck us, but it's gonna happen anyway. So like, let's at least look into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's techno fatalism. It's like techno pessimism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really bleak. But there's this one chapter about like this almost extinct population of pupfish in of the Midwest, okay. in this like in this underwater canyon, and about how much work it takes to preserve them, and about how much energy it does. And it's a really interesting, nuanced um, investigation into is this, is this worth it is this actually taking the whole ecosystem into consideration there's a lot of technology involved like what is this actually doing it's more it feels morally kind of like a nice a nice thing to do but is it actually helpful 
Yeah, and I guess, you know, like where that brings my mind is this sort of like, you hear this a lot, like I'm sighing as I think of it because I'm so <laughs> yeah. annoyed by it. Yeah. But you hear this a lot from like very smart white men, pretty much yeah. primarily who are like well-meaning, but they're totally like white men <laughs> and they like are in that culture. But it's just like, oh, the meaning crisis, the meaning crisis, the meaning crisis or meaning crisis 3.0, whatever the fuck. And, you know, I was talking, I was talking online the other day and then also like Nora Bateson, you know, chimed in and, you know, wonderful stuff. But like, I think what many of us are coming to who are sort of like, oh, these, these non-indigenous ways of catastrophizing reality and trying to always come up with solutions for problems they create just by acting the way that they do is like, it's actually an epistemic crisis. It's like a crisis of like, the context of your actual way you process communication or learning or like the way of learning or the way of like approaching a situation by which you would then get different kinds of information right it's yeah like, yeah it's technology issue yeah and I, I think you know we just don't live in a very interrogative culture um, and I think about that a lot, which is instead of asking questions, you know, which is what science is supposed to be about, but we're, you know, Bachelard makes posits that there are like two different types of um, thought. There's scientific thought, which is like a mode of thinking and it's a mode of inquiry. And then there's scientistic thought, which is like very essentialist and kind of thinks we all have it figured out and everything that is scientistic is true. Um, and most, most science, jargon that I hear these days feels pretty scientific to me. Right. Um, it's it's it, highly religious, right? It's like it's yeah. a fundamentalist scientism or something. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's not, you know, the episode that I keep thinking about is in Wolfram, Wolfram Van Eschenbach's Parsifal, where Parsifal finally, he has screwed up so many times. He has not gotten the grail. He's done it wrong. Because he's, he's his main way of relating is just like, what next? What next? What next? <laughs> Who can I save? Who can I save? What dams damsel needs to be saved? So that's like that soteriological salvation idea. Finally, he slows down. He's in the grail king's house or castle. And the grail king is wounded. And finally, he goes, what ails thee? <laughs> and that's how he gets the grail is he asks for another story that he can't possibly know that he identifies that someone else is suffering and that their story might be more important than his moral idea of the narrative right and this brings me to this fucking thing i i like you hear this a lot too with this kind of meaning crisis or epistemic yeah. crisis. like it's also like a purposive crisis as in people or men or whoever insert insert group here doesn't know how to have a purpose anymore and so they're falling apart or something and it's like <laughs> you know and that's parsival right it's like yeah. he can only exist if his purpose is the center of attention yeah and what the thing is our purposes are not individual units they are relationships and that's why i really like mushrooms as a or mycelium as a cognitive companion um, I mean, I really think that the way I think should mostly be mycelial, which is what is the connection? What is the relationship that is actually constitutes a more interesting story? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Let's just repeat that for a second because it, it reminded me of when I was first starting to learn contact improv and improvisational dance when I was in my like mid 
to late 20s in San Francisco, um, beautiful San Francisco, Ohlone territory. Um, but like one of my very first teachers said that when they're in the improvisational act, as in like they are doing the damn thing, which is I don't know all the time, that they say they're always asking not what is the right choice to make next, but what is the more interesting choice to make? Yeah, yeah. And if yeah. and if the more interesting choice is actually going outside of your own belief system to inquire into another yeah. being's creation or story or presence, then it, it creates that really nice feedback loop where you're not losing yourself in the other person's story because you're still referencing your purpose, but your purpose is actually what's the interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. Not what is my purpose? You know, it's like, yeah. no, my purpose is to ask inside this moment, what is the interesting choice to make or where is the interesting place to put my attention? Right. Like like what is what is the novel or what is the murky? What is the uh, what is the what is the magnetic unknown that my system is being drawn to that if I put my attention there might give me something that is not my prediction of my life? Yeah, and here's the thing. I think actually that most times when the prediction of our life comes true, we're very disappointed. <laughs> and the thing that I've realized is our imaginations about what we deserve are very impoverished. And, I, you know, we, we think that we want to go to Walmart every day and live in houses and that we want um, climate technology that will let us keep driving our car to the mall. But I don't think that's actually what we want. Right. And God, would it be sad if we got what we wanted? Yeah, and I think that that's the real landing part for me is like a turning point that I had once was I was doing a lot of this kind of spiritual work, you know, alchemical work. Yeah. And I woke up one day in a state of literally knowing that I didn't know what would make me happy. And it was one of the most liberating experiences I've ever had. Yeah. I knew that I didn't know what would make me happy. And so I could let go of thinking that if I just knew what would make me happy, I would be able to chase it and then get it and then be happy. It was actually, I don't know what will make me happy. And the relief that came with that was sort of like a bomb for this sadness or this impover, this impoverishment that you just spoke to. The impoverishment yeah. of, of that. Yeah, like, can you, yes. If, do you have anything more you want to add on that? That's just- Well, it, it's more like, I mean, I think about how especially with screens and with reading and with, with text, textual um, focus, we, we actually narrow our ability to see. And, we, and it's more interesting to have a kind of gestalt experience of the world and, and to see what arrives. Um, and I think sometimes we can't predict what will make us happy. So we have to be like those hunters going out, just scanning the forest. And if you get too focused, you're gonna miss the thing you're looking for. Right, because you don't actually know what you're looking for. Yeah. Technically, technically, you don't know. You might have an intention. Yeah. You might be like, I'm looking for animals, or I'm looking for surprises, or I'm looking for this red yeah. flower that grows in these places. But yeah. on, on the immediate specific relationship level, you don't yeah. actually know what you're looking for. No, you don't. So you, it has to be, I think, it, you know, you're always going between trying to actually articulate what you want, which I think is important. And then also opening up space for being wrong. <laughs> right. right. Um, and being surprised being yeah. like, being like, I got a thing that surprised me might even have got, might even have traumatized me a little bit. Yeah. 
but it it kind of made me have to do a different dance and that dance had to be really I, then i have all this self-reflection and now i have all this insight and now i have all this sort of like novel chi or novel energy coming into my body which actually wasn't coming before and in fact i had no idea i was even missing it right yeah i mean and it brings me to this study i've been doing which is you know the word satan initially didn't attach to any specific character and it also wasn't negative um in pre um pre-second temple period judaism leading into second temple period judaism it meant stumbling block and it you know it's related to the story of this guy who keeps trying to go into an orchard and keeps like um not being able, I think something happens where he can't go into it and he's really trying. And finally someone comes and says, look, there's an angel holding a fiery sword. If you'd gone in there, you would have been killed. So the stumbling block is often what recorrects our course in a way that feels really unpleasant, but is actually protecting us. And this is the etymology of like the devil, like Satan? Well, yeah, I mean, I would say I would say I don't have the history in front of me, but a great book is The Origin of Satan by Elaine Pagels, who's this incredible theologian and religious scholar. So, yeah. So just to sort of just to sort of like maybe separate the spirits, because, of course, we have this big conglomerate spirit called Satan. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of like by a batch of projections and things. Yeah. Manipulations. Yeah. Then but then there's this word, S-A-T-A-N, that has etymology and and that you can trace it back to something that just means like stumbling block. Something, something that comes and forces you to adjust. Right. And, and that adjustment can be positive. And, you know, I think about that a lot in my life is, you know, you put plants in a complicated place and they will grow and they will figure out how to do it. And they will have a, a different shape than they would somewhere else. Right, so, right. Yeah. They have a different context so they grow differently, for sure. So I, I think sometimes when something happens in our life and we have to shift our behavior it's interesting to think i'm seeking sunlight it doesn't feel like it but me recorrecting my movements and my habits and my beliefs and my stories is actually about seeking where the sun is coming right yeah and so like even as a like a a somatic exercise i'm I'm thinking of a little game we can sort of play now yeah Um, let's take seeking sunlight and in all the ways that it could mean in the body, but also as it pertains to the creative process. And so the creative process, if you're listening at home or wherever, the creative process could be song lyrics, it could be movements, it could be breath, it could be sound, it could be drawing pictures, it could be whatever. And, you know, technically the art form I'm engaging in right now is conversation, right? So, let's take like a minute to seek sunlight and then see what happens somatically for us when we do that and then we'll come back and and see how the conversation sort of maybe wants to find the ocean because i think that's where we're going (laughs) yeah yeah cool so um if you got a bell ring it if you got a rattle shake it but uh let's seek sunlight for a little bit and uh yeah let's sink into that
You know, it's funny. I always, whenever I'm actually trying to experience sunlight, I close my eyes. It's never about a visual. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it's always about actually eating it with my whole body, with all of my surface. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally. It's yeah. appetitive. It's appetitive and it's eyeless. It's totally carnal. Yeah. Can you tell what you said? Appetitive? I don't appetitive. know. Appetitive. It's like appetite. Oh, um, right. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It's like, yes, like the appetite sort of. Like I can think of it like my skin eating, right? My skin yeah. trying to eat something. Yeah. I need to find out where that is. And to do that, I actually have to close my eyes to gate the senses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> actually open up other senses that are probably less less energy is going to them or something, you know, because yeah. I'm not biasing them so much anymore. But Exactly. Yeah. When I when I did it, you know, I just had this overwhelming kind of pleasure of my skull um feeling like it could rest in the air around me Mm, like almost like a cartoon cloud you can rest on like a pillow but it felt like the air had a kind of yeah a kind of firmness to it that my 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 skull felt like it was maybe resting on or yeah being boated around on (laughs) like but there was that pressure, there was a kind of like firm pressure that wasn't like overwhelming, but was a kind of like seeking, but seeking almost like, you know, like when you see babies and small animals press their heads into their parents and it's yeah. like weird, it's not weird, it's just a, you. it's not necessarily obvious what their goal is other than <laughs> yeah. it's like a kind of, that's happening. It's yeah. like, oh, they're, they're nuzzling, but what the fuck is nuzzling? It's like, no, they're pressing their head into the body of something else. And it probably feels good. And we don't really have a lot of great words to describe what the hell's going on, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that we, we desire intimacy that we don't get. Yes. Um, and the truth is that I think that a lot of nuzzling would have been happening in other cultures at other times. Um, you know, I think we would have been like in the dirt. We would have been had our hands on the food that we were growing and eating. We would have been touching the plants that we were cultivating and in relationship with and sensually close, taking in a lot of like actual molecules and information. So I think there's something about that experience that's almost sacramental. It's like, I want to actually smell and feel your body. I yeah. want to bring it into my cognition. Eat yeah. it. And yeah. bringing it in is actually physically like, like the symbolic action is not mental. It's physical. No. The symbolic yeah, but, action is like, press it on my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, bring it here. Um, <laughs> I, I, and I, here's the thing. I think we actually undervalue closeness, actual closeness, like get really close to something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, something I do a lot is just like, I get really close to the ground and I look at what's going on there. Um, right. Right. And and that's different than just resting on the ground, which we talked about earlier as a kind of Mm -hmm. self-regulatory healing practice, right? It's kind of like a dreaming practice as a resting practice. But this is almost like inverting that. It's like, instead of laying down on your back, looking at the sky, letting go, you're actually, your back is to the sky, your face is to the ground, and you're attending, but you're also intimately close, spatially, distanced. Yeah. 
you're conversing it. There's a dialectic quality to it. Yeah. Cause you're going to be responding to the stimuli. Um, right. So, it, and it's not even necessarily only about the visual sense at that point, is no. it? No, I mean, we're, we're getting so much information. We don't even know we're getting all the time. And that's this absorptive quality of the senses. Like, yes, you're seeing things and yes, you're hearing things and yes, your skin is touching things and absorbing them, but we don't really know in the West or we don't talk about it to the extent that we don't even know what the hell that means. No. Like what does, what does being so close to a tree and looking at it do when you recognize that the looking is like maybe 1% of what you're doing. Yeah. And that actually what, what you're experiencing is something that is alive. Yes. And that you, you guys are both, I mean, um, David Abram writes a lot about this and have you read Spell of the Centrist? I've read a bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. So thing. it's, you know, it, you're looking at something and it's looking back at you, you're touching it, it's touching you. So there's, there's a participatory element to it, which is, you know, you're stepping into to something's umwelt. It's like its flavor of consciousness. Um, yes. yes. Yeah. And that has an electric quality or oh, an yeah. magnetic quality because, because yeah. it's both dangerous and scary, but also like deeply like engrossing and entrancing and weird and and erotic yeah and erotic. i mean yes yes because it, it it affirms our presence i mean when that thing presses back on you it says you are real i'm real we're real together we constitute <laughs> each other yeah and you know it's a little bit like love making but yeah, yeah. A, little bit, a little bit terrifying a little yeah. bit like all the things right well that yeah. is real like the reflective quality and you know, we think of Indra's net and the prisms or the diamonds that are faceted and each of those diamonds reflects every other facet of every other diamond in the cosmos in a kind of yeah. jewel, a, a jewel of water droplets forever, you know, reflecting itself, right? But the actual reality is that not to not to be techno fatalistic, to be techno ecstatic or techno uh, some things techno yeah let's uh, just go with techno ecstatic which is like the internet is trying to create the indra's net that we know about from mythology that we actually are as like starlight and water refracting in a universal pool of darkness right <laughs> like yeah but we're creating essentially a network of screens that do that in a very particular kind of way but symbolically and physically it's the same it's the same process, this erotic refraction or reflection or touching. And it's like, that's that interesting part is like, we often think of mirrors, we don't like necessarily touch mirrors, right? We, we, we don't necessarily press ourselves up against a mirror. And yet, touching is sort of like the most mirror like thing we can actually do. Yeah, well, it, it is a way of, um, interesting i'm thinking about that for a second yeah if if something else is real it makes us real so it's not that the thing that we're touching is us but it that it reflects our reality That's and it. i do think those moments of uncanniness happen when it's hard to touch something yes um yeah. and it's hard to get that foothold and the culture that we've created is one where that foothold is increasingly hard to get i think that's why people experience certain kinds of mental illness sure. is that we live in these echo chambers where we are centrally um, deprived. Centrally deprived. Yeah. For, for real, 
Like, yeah. I recently have started a kind of, I let's let's just call it a vigorous bathing process in which I scrape my skin like a kind of you know like what you would pay for at a spa like where someone like yeah. really destroys you but yeah i've just been trying to like go okay i don't have access to that obviously we're in covid land and that's fine um but to kind of go you know my skin is being deprived of textures and experiences that are really hard to just have happen if you're living in an urban environment or indoors you're not getting scratched the wind isn't on your skin drying it out the rain isn't moistening your skin you're not getting the heat of a certain kind of temperature on the skin in certain ways or the sunlight on the skin and so with the bathing practice it's like really vigorously scraping and agitating the skin as a kind of like opening up of this gateway yeah exactly the blood to the surface so that you can not only have circulation but then when you encounter new things or anything you could be familiar but then when you encounter you actually feel it more because your skin is like what the hell man like i'm yeah. wide awake now right like i'm wide awake and i do think that there is some kind of like like the creative process is also some part of or or vice versa a hygienic kind of practice interesting yeah um or it can be a kind of embodiment um it's it's as if as you defamiliarize certain familiar things through your writing you become more sensitive to them and the one thing i'd say that i've been really meditating on is in a culture where there is a lot of trauma embodiment while important and crucial is agonizing so what does it mean to come back into your body when it sucks <laughs> um, I mean, that that to me is the ocean like yeah like here we are we just had this wonderful conversation i'm so you know thrilled where the conversation went and also it went to the goddamn fucking ocean and uh -huh. we just like we're probably going to end on this note of like we can't solve this why does embodiment hurt so fucking much and yeah. that is the thing that we need to focus on in order yeah. to be present and actually attend to reality as it actually is and maybe even stop doing terrible shitty things and yet for most people the act of any kind of somatics any kind of embodiment any kind of actually feeling more of what's there yeah is actually met with satan the roadblock <laughs> yeah. of pain yeah. Like, yeah. of like, I don't like this fucking feeling. Yeah, I'm, I don't like it at all. And, you know, I have a lot of chronic pain issues, too. I have yeah. a little bit of scoliosis in my back. I've had to deal with this kind of back, weird back pain for years and years and years and joint pain. And um, I don't have a name for it. So that's fine. There's no diagnosis yeah. there. <laughs> but yeah. um, but the reality is, is like, you know, in Taoism, one of the big things to practice is any kind of standing or seated stillness practice in which you actually have to float the posture. Yeah. And I can tell you as someone who has been almost like a semi-pro dancer and exercised my life to death as a form of kind of like dealing with my own pain, uh -huh. that actually those kinds of stillness practices bring about the most pain quickest. Yeah. 
because there's some kind of excruciating like fiery furnace of sensation that seems to well up when the system isn't being um, soothed by other kinds of movement. So there's no yeah. rocking, there's no dancing. And that's really interesting to me that like, fuck man, we have to be better at being intimate with pain. And yet I'm not saying go over threshold and like lose your no. shit. It's like, there's something else that has to happen here. The only, the only interpretation, and this isn't a solution or even a meaning, it's, is, it's just kind of a very subjected, situated way of dealing with this, is when we ignore pain, we get sicker. And I've often thought of like, it's the emergency signal that says you need to shift your behavior. So it is, the, the pain is a messenger. It is helping you to figure something out and to not feel it is sometimes to let things get really bad. Right. So collectively, if we're in pain, if collectively, if we're in pain, this is a signal that we have to shift. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's real. And like, that is the ocean we're actually in, which is returning to the ocean after a long time away from it as a kind of species. Yeah. Returning to it as a kind of like, hopefully grown up or mature or something. But when you return to that ocean, you're going to feel all the threat. You're going to feel all the terror. You're going to feel all the fear. You're going to feel all these uncomfortable things. And for me, embodiment alone or somatics alone as a kind of subjugated reductionist form of being, which is not real yeah. because yeah. It's, there's Interpretive. no, but because of the culture we're in, I do think we have to bring art making into that somatic practice or else we don't know how to deal with the hygienic yeah. process or the lymphatic process that's yeah. happening. The, yeah, the lymphatic process, yeah. When you start to detox, oof, whoa, yeah. yeah. Gotta make some art. Right, so like art as, art as both somatics, but art as a lymphatic somatics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's really like yeah. lymphatic somatics. Like you're like, how do I take in water and nutrients, and also how do I release them? Yeah, so as to not be stagnant or constipated or yeah. whatever stuck in some way. But yes, this like the fluid nature, but also not too fluid because then yeah. we have another problem. <laughs> yeah, no, it's always it's always um, God has changed, man. God you know. Has <laughs> I think that deserves the hi-hat, but um boom ching That's I, not me. That's me. That's Octavia Butler. Okay, but yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, but still, that, that reality of like, boom, here it is. And yeah. we can't really, we can't really try to pretend that it's otherwise. No. I mean, if we, we can make art about pretending that it's otherwise, <laughs> that's pretty funny. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it all comes back as a true reflection. Right. The true reflection is like, mm -mm, that's not it. <laughs> like you gotta, you're going, you're dissolving again. You're becoming, yeah. you're goo, you're goo again. Like, fuck, yeah. I'm goo again. I'm goo again. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what we just have to get comfortable with is that the goo, it always returns. Um, goo, it returns. Yeah. So I want to sort of bring this epic conversation to a, to a close for now. And, um, Sophie, where can folks find out more about Sophie? Well, I am on Facebook at Sophie Strand, and I'm also at Instagram on at 
cosmogony, but it's misspelled because it's a female created universe. So it's C-O-S-M-O-G-Y-N-Y. And that's why I didn't win the spelling bee because that was hard for me. Um, <laughs> it's also a riddle for the listeners to find you in those formats. Um, so can you think we're going to have a book soon or like, what do you think? What do you I think? Might I might have some very exciting news in like two weeks. Okay. Well, so we'll so we're waiting with bated breath. I hope that goes well for you. In Thank you. That produce more art and maybe in the next cycle of whatever we can do a part two and i would love that this is this has been absolutely delicious thank you you're very even, even though there was a lot of pain it was good um. <laughs> like, that's it all right everybody thank you so much for listening please donate if you feel called please visit sophie's um socials and all of that stuff so uh we can all stay in touch with each other's work thank you so much for joining us on this underworld party stay you know stay creative out there it's a real rough and uh you know have some fun pull a tarot deck and, and walk backwards down the street all right bye everyone thank you so much boop 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 boo yeah